0: Well, good morning. I'm so excited to be with you here this morning. And especially those who are birth through 10 years old. Could you raise your hand if you're birth through 10 years old and give a big old wave? And for those of you at home as well, this message, this next moments are for are for you guys. Okay? Now, if you have been part, if you've been watching online, if you've been um, with us for a while, you know that Pastor Kevin has been talking about the circle of love. God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they invite us into this beautiful relationship. And they want everybody to be in so together we can experience their joy and their love and their wisdom and their peace. Well, today, we know that's, we know that's true. We know that we're invited because God sent his only son. So representing the circle of love today is going to be this cross. And my friend, uh, my friend, Allie Kramer, she gave me such a great visual. See, God wants us just so close to his heart that we would get to experience that with him. But sometimes bad things happen, don't they? And so uh, my friend, Alec Kramer, she gave me this great visual. Sometimes if, if, this is, if this is a circle of love, there's just, there's blocks. There's either... Uh, Maybe it's maybe it's our own sin, our own selfishness, or um, or the believing the lies of the world, or believing the lies of the enemy, of Satan, and so we start to get this. Unfortunately, we start to build up these walls, these blocks. So some of these some of these lies that we can hear is um, kids especially. I need stuff in order for me to be happy. Kids, I want to let you in on a secret. There are billions, billions of dollars spent so you hear that message, so that you believe, I need blank, whatever it is. Maybe it's the new magazine, maybe it's the new cars, whatever that is, if you think, and it's not that God doesn't want us to have nice stuff, but if you think that that is what's gonna make you happy, then that can be a wall against our relationship with God. Oh, here's another one. Pastor Kevin, I believe, is going to talk about this one. God really doesn't care if I don't share the stuff that he has given me. I mean, sometimes if we find that we have a lot of stuff, sometimes that lie can be, um, well, I deserve this. I'm entitled to, to this stuff. And so, because, I've, because I deserve it, I really don't need to share it with anybody else. Or, sometimes, we can take, I'm not sure how good I am at building. Thank goodness, I don't think my husband would hire me, so that's all right, I'm okay with that. <laughs> sometimes, if we don't have much, we can think, oh, well, I don't have much to share, and I just wanna make sure that I keep all that I have. It can go both ways. But unfortunately, these are all things that keep us away from God's heart. That would be very anticlimactic if it fell before, uh, (laughs) before it was supposed to. So, all right. This is where God wants you to be. And when we swallow these lies and we have blocks in our heart, sometimes... We stand outside, and we don't, get to, we don't get that same access. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. He loves us a lot, but we don't have that same access to the circle of love. And so where do we go? When I, when I used to teach, I see, I see a couple of you that I used to teach um, in Sunday school down there. Where do we go when we need to make the wise choice? Can you say it? Where do we go? We go to God's word doesn't, don't we? It is his word that allows us to smash down walls and have access again into his heart. And sometimes God gives us um, the the practical way. So we hear his word and then we obey it. And there's many gifts and and one of them is wisdom. And so I have invited a very wise man uh, to share share this moment, uh, this message with you. Yeah, if you could come on up. And let's just welcome Jason Roseboom to the stage this morning. Because you know a lot about uh, breaking down financial, financial walls and, and these kind of things. And the thing um, that I really appreciate about Jason, uh, all of his wisdom, but he really has a flavor of what it's like in our culture. As well as, you and your family were missionaries for three years in Honduras, is that right? So you also have kind of more of a global perspective of economy and and those kind of things too. And so this idea for for us, where we live here in America, kids, this idea of like, mine, 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 Uh, Kevin has been using the fancy word, uh, home economicus, uh, that that isolates, it actually isolates us. you you don't necessarily that's not necessarily the culture um, around around the world. Could you share a little bit about what a culture is like in Honduras around the financial piece and um, compared to what you see in America? Give us a little perspective on that.
1: Sure, yeah, I'd be happy to do that, um, Katie. My uh, my experience where we were in Honduras uh, on how people viewed money it's it's a lot different than the U.S. of course, and a lot of that's driven by a different level of resource and so. Um, where we were at, there was a lot of poverty. So money there was to meet the needs, their basic needs, very basic needs, very basic housing needs, very basic food needs, those kind of things. If there was excess, it is a culture that is much more open to sharing with their family and friends and those around them if there's excess, and that's sharing to meet the basic needs, you know, to put food on the table, those kind of things. So that culture is much more that way. I remember some experiences where, I wasn't used to that, and, and someone would have something something, and they would want to give it to me to share, a, pe- a food item or something, and I wasn't used to that culture. So uh, it's, in, in the U.S., we're much more independent, much less um, apt to um, share our financial situation in general. It's a very private matter a lot of times. So, so yeah, it's a different culture from that standpoint. A lot of it um, driven by uh, a high level of poverty and a great level of need, um, where they are really required to help each other to survive. So the other thing that I notice is economically, we have a lot of opportunity to improve our economic situation by working more, um, uh, maybe increasing our education to help increase our income. Uh, There's a huge level of unemployment and underemployment that just causes that to be uh, not a reality for folks in other cultures. Uh, it's not laziness. It's that I've saw that I saw. It's very much uh, a lack of opportunity, and leads to discouragement. Leads to lots of other problems. So we're blessed here to have um, lots of opportunity.
0: Awesome. Thank you. I love I love how you said that no matter what they had, they would bring it bring it to share. That's so that's so beautiful. One thing that you and I have have talked about a little bit is. Um, one of, the, one of the lies that causes us to be outside that circle is that we as Americans, we often don't live, even though we have so much, our, our spreadsheets, we don't we don't live with a lot of margin around the edges because um, because of because of a lot of these these lies that we listen to. And are there any practical things that you would you would say to uh, to parents um, like myself or to kids like that we can we can begin to live with a little bit more margin and share the generosity of of the Triune God? Any just practical practical ideas?
1: Yeah. So. The first thing that comes to mind when you say that is just a process of learning and disciplining ourselves to spend less than we make. That seems simple, but it's not, not our culture. Our culture is to spend more than we make and live in a lifestyle of debt, which creates bondage. And so um, that is what causes a lot of stress in people's lives related to their financial situation. So how do you do that? Well, I think a good way for, um, you know, parents and children, since we're speaking some to the younger folks here too, is uh, start really young with things like connecting allowance or earnings or, with work and giving them some opportunity to pay for some of the things they want. Eventually paying for some of the things they need, increasing their responsibilities so that, um, you know, they might have a modest budget for a pair of shoes, but if my son loves really nice shoes he can use some of his funds that he's earned to do that. And he'll start to connect that, oh, if I do that, I don't have money for going to the movie tomorrow. You know, there's that connection that I think is lost when we have the tendency, it's just easier sometimes just to give our kids money and let them do what they want to do because it's the easier path sometimes. So, so just training in that. I think for young adults, um, it's a lot about learning that I have limited resources. My parents' lifestyle doesn't continue for me now immediately because I'm just getting started. They've had years to accumulate the level of income or work that they're doing. So um, just realizing that and just learning to make those choices, um, it's discipline. For me, You know, it's kind of like dieting. It's a discipline I have to do. Mm-hmm. I don't do it very well, but it's the same concept. <laughs> i got to burn more calories than I eat. So yeah. um, that's harder for me to do than in the budgeting part. But, um, so uh, that's one thing. The other thing that really strikes me in our culture is um, avoiding get-rich-quick schemes. There's a lot of them out there. Mm-hmm. And some of them are very obvious to most people. Some of them are very covert and are tied to things we like and seem very good. So um, uh, that is just something, I I think that's driven by a culture that wants everything fast, that believes that we are entitled to this. And I think the reality and the truth is we need to learn that financial success, financial just stability in life comes from um, slow, steady, discipline practices, and uh, so those are a couple of the key things. The the last thing, since we have short time and I need to end here, (laughs) just a couple of resources. First of all, I love Proverbs because it's very practical, and there's a lot of good money. A lot of things I'm talking about here and putting into my own words come from Proverbs uh, when it comes to just how to the basics of handling money and avoiding bondage to debt, so read Proverbs. The second thing is For some good practical free advice is crown financial ministries at crown.org great things there to help teach your kids if you're wanting to do that to help uh, um, teach yourself we can all always learn more about ways um, to do that and as part of that budgeting process it's going to teach it from a perspective of giving your first fruits tithing giving before you do these other things which i think is the key to not serving mammon and using money for your, your purposes, not for evil purposes.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Well, you have, I should have mentioned this before, you have seven kids, right? And, and so they might also love to, to do this, but would you help me with this, uh, kind of break down this wall? That's what we're, that's what we're doing today, is we are, we're uh, going to break down this wall. You, wanna, you can give the first boot. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Can you give a round of applause? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> And will you join with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for being such a generous God. Thank you for um, all the ways that you pour out your blessings on us, individually and collectively. And we truly pray, Father, that there would be, um, yeah, just the blockages, anything that is blocking our relationship with you, that those would just be torn down in Jesus' name and for his glory. We pray that your kingdom would come and your will would continue to be done. Open our hearts and our minds as we receive uh, your, your word today. Bless Kevin as he speaks. And all of God's children said, amen.
2: Thank you. <laughs> We're continue our series on flourishing in exile through generosity. And I wonder if I could invite you to open your Bibles, please, to Deuteronomy chapter 24. We're gonna look at three different passages and I'd like to perhaps surprise you just a little bit. Last week I talked about uh, potlucks and so I got just a whole bunch of emails from people who did all kinds of unique potlucks, beautiful potlucks. And I'd like to address the question is, how is it that we all are able to engage in a potluck? Remember the context, the context last week was, the kingdom of God flourishing in exile is not like a soup kitchen where some people have wealth, and they help the lesser people give them something because obviously they don't have what they need. And I said, no, let's change that metaphor to this. It's a potluck where everyone participates. Everyone brings something and everyone receives something. I'd like, uh, like to see in both Old and New Testaments how this is possible. So in Deuteronomy chapter 24, Look at verses 17 through 22. Look at specific verses about how we do this. Verse 17, 24, 17. Now look who he speaks about. Do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice. Or take the cloak of of the widow as a pledge. Foreigner, fatherless, widow. Now throughout Deuteronomy, the next word is highlighted. Remember that you, the people of Israel, were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I command you to do this. When you are harvesting in your field, and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for, look who we leave it for, the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Why? So that, purpose clause, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all your work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. This is why I command you to do this. So let me give you the picture now. So, the picture is around the field, and we're not an agrarian people, those who are farmers know the story. When they would harvest by hand, they would not f- harvest the edges. And they were told in Deuteronomy 24 to leave part of the crop for three specific groups of people the fatherless, the widow, and the foreigner. What is the expectation? The expectation is that everyone has an opportunity to work. And when you have the opportunity, you can eat. But not only that, you can share. So in the king's economy of the Old Testament, those who had farms, who had groves, who had vineyards, were to create opportunities for foreigners, fatherless, and widows. Well, I want to give you a specific example of this. Could you turn over the book of Ruth, chapter 2? Here's a, here's a, They are basically in the story a widow and two orphans. Ruth, chapter 2, and I'd like to just read a couple different verses, and I want you to observe the gleaning that occurs in the field. Chapter 2, Ruth, chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. And Ruth the Moabite, so this is an orphan a woman whose husband has died, said that Naomi, a widow, let me go into the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I have find favor. So he has an opportunity to work if someone is favorable. So the widow, Naomi said to her orphan daughter-in-law, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and entered a field, and she began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Verse 7. Verse 7 says, She said to him, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the field. Look how hard she worked. Verses 15 through 18. As she got up to glean, Boaz said to, her, to the men, Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So she got up in the field until evening, gleaned in the field to evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. Look at your, down below, it's about 13 kilograms, 30 pounds. She carried it back to town and gave it to her mother-in-law who is widowed and said, see how much I have gathered. She brought it out and gave her what she left over after she had eaten enough. Now verse 20. The Lord bless him, said the widow, to her orphan, quote, daughter-in-law. He is not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Now that word guardian redeemers, look at your footnote at the bottom of your page. A guardian redeemer is a legal term for someone who has obligation to redeem a relative in serious difficulty. So, Follow me here. Here we go. What's, what's, what's the king's economy for all the people of Israel? When you owned a land, you owned a vineyard, you owned a, an olive tree, you were to leave some portion of it on the ground in the tree or so that somebody, anyone, who did not have work or family or support had an opportunity to actually go and receive and gain food. Now, if if you read the whole count of Deuteronomy, the poorest of the poor, even today in America, if you go talk to Jason Henry at the well, the poorest of the poor, think about today. Do I have sufficient food for today? And in the poorest of the poor throughout our country and the world, you notice if someone has something, Jason referred to it from Honduras, if I have food and you don't, we will share it. So the Old Testament economy was everyone needs to be given opportunity to work. If they have opportunity to work, they have opportunity to eat. And if they have opportunity to eat, they have opportunity to share. Now, compare it with what I've said the last two weeks, and Katie alluded to it. The word is homo economicus. It is a description of the American financial way of thinking. We are solitary people choosing to gather as much material possessions as possible so our life is as pleasurable as it can be so we can end up with a life of leisure. Now compare that with the king's economy in the Old Testament. So if you own a a farm, you knew the king expected you to leave the outer edges of your field available for the poor, the fatherless, the widow, and the orphan to find a place to work. If they could work, they could eat. And if they could eat, they could share. Well, that's the king's economy in the Old Testament. What about the new? Could you turn to your Bibles and move over to, uh, please, Ephesians chapter 4? Ephesians chapter 4, and just one verse. And this is really interesting to me. One verse. Ephesians chapter 4, and verse 28. Ephesians 4, 28. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Can I have slide four, please? So there it is. This is what Ephesians four says about about work. We are all asked, did you notice who he's addressing specifically? I wanna play with you here now. Those who are, what's the next word? Stealing should steal no more. Who are stealing? People in the church. These are church people who are stealing and not working. What does St. Paul say? Those who are stealing must steal no longer, but must work to do what? Provide for their families and have something to share. How do you think about work? Now, let me take you back to Genesis 1 and 2. Don't have time to go there reading at all. But in chapters 1 and 2, Genesis 1 and 2, what do we see about God and work? In two creation epics, you see a God who is enthralled with work. He created man and woman to work. Why? Why? Because there's something life-giving, invigorating, and purposeful about reasons for living. That's why, can I just say this? In the Bible, there is no place in the Bible, there is no description of retirement except for one word. What is the purpose of our life, of work, whatever work? It could be volunteer work when we get past a certain age, what Americans call retirement, at some point, purposeful. Why? Because listen now, in the heart of God, in the heart of God, in the heart of creation, in the heart of humankind, rightly understood, is a desire, a call, and a dignity to work. And so, if we have a homo economicus, which basically says, I'm going to solitary person, I'm going to get as much money as I can get to buy as much stuff as I want, so I can just coast into my last 20 years, how far have we come from what the king calls us to do together? He wants us to work. To provide for those we love, so we have something to share. Now do you see where potluck comes into play? In both the Old Testament and New Testament, the idea of potluck. Now, let me just stop for a second. I'm going to just take you, let me give you a big word. The big word is eschatology. Eschatology is the study of what will happen when Jesus returns. The scriptures all through the New Testament epistles talk about we will rule and reign with Christ. What does that mean? Well, you can describe it in many ways, and scholars do, but let me give you a very specific one. Ruling and reigning with Christ will include, listen now, new heaven and new earth, purposeful, restful work. We will not be singing kumbaya forever in the clouds. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And the way God wired you and how you are most invigorated here is practice for what is to come. And there is purposeful, restful work. Why do we work? Because it's part of God's call to be dignified humans and it's a way to provide for our families and it gives us the opportunity to share. Now, let me play with you just a little bit. Last week, Friday, I worked on, so our governance system here is called the Garver Board Policy Governance. We have 55 elders and deacons, and then from that 55, six are chosen to be the the overseers of our church. Every year, I'm evaluated, and our staff are evaluated 16 times for how we do our jobs to, to fulfill the mandate of this group of six. But once a year, we have what's called the Annual Global Ends Monitoring Report, which is my requirement to the board to you, to show how we as a congregation over this past year have been trying to live out what we call the ENDS policy, which is the people who come in contact with Third Church will experience the people who bear the fruit of the Spirit, who grow in intimacy with the triune God, and who exhibit an ever-increasing sacrificial generosity. So I'm working on all this, preparing this for the meeting coming up in a few weeks. And I came across something I had never known before. I told Elaine this yesterday. You know, in American way of thinking, we we behold the family, the father and mother idea on Father's Day, a month ago Mother's Day, we hold the parents in such high esteem, and we should, honor your father and your mother. I did not realize in the first and second and third century, higher than the value of father and mother was the value of brother and sister. Why? Because the span of life was very short. And a high probability your mother and father would die when you were quite young. So who would you depend upon? Your brothers and sisters. One hundred and eighty-two times in the New Testament, what are we called? Brothers and sisters. Ooh, did you catch the word from Ruth? the man was called a kinsman, guardian, redeemer, a legal term to help a relative who was in trouble. We are asked to be brothers and sisters. We are asked to create opportunities for all people that we have relationship with as we are able to work, and to share. How different is this from the way we typically understand the American economic system? So, in that light, slide five. This is why I use the word cross-shaped giving. Cross-shaped giving, remember, vertical. When we give, when we give, we are actually engaged in economic warfare. Remember what I said three weeks ago? Worship is fundamentally an economic issue. Jesus said you cannot love mammon, worship mammon, and worship God. It's one or the other. What determines who we worship? Wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So if I'm spending all my money, my focus is on homo economicus, my, 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 my. I have given myself to the worship of mammon. But Jesus says, you don't have to do that. You can worship the Lord your God and one of the ways you do it is by giving, by sharing but it's also got this horizontal beam, and that is giving creates community. Isn't it true when we give, when we go to potlucks and we all bring something, we create community. We create joy, we create atmosphere, we create fun, we create volumes of togetherness. Giving is always supposed to be worship and community. That's what we're called to do and to be. So, slide six, what I said the last couple weeks for action steps was, how about this one? To be about simplicity, week one, or gratitude, or contentment, or generosity, any one of those. Last week we talked about potlucks. And there are all kinds of potlucks. And i am going to tell you one story with permission. I'm going to hide it just a little bit. But there was a, a couple in our church, the man is estranged, from his wife's family. Things have been very difficult for a long time in their family gatherings. Her family does not like him, and apparently he doesn't like them, and it's pretty obvious. But something happened last week, Sunday, to this particular man. And he felt a call somehow to participate in a potluck. Family, this, so the family did not like, they gathered in a potluck. And around food and fellowship, relationships are restored. I got an email about, I think it was, I can't remember, 9.30, 10.30 last night. He said, wow, what a day. What was the context? Everyone came. Everyone brought something. And everyone received something. What would happen if brothers and sisters, the body of Christ, all across this country, saw each other in that way? And those of us who are thieves would stop stealing. Let me apply thieves. It is said that in the American workplace today, because of our technology abilities, the average American worker in an office space Spends less than five hours doing her or his job. Because the rest of the time they're on social media. May I say this with all respect? If that's you, you're a thief. You're stealing from your employer. And if I take paper clips home, or pens home, or paper home, and don't pay for it, I'm a thief. And St. Paul says, Kevin, stop stealing. Work hard so you can share. So, what about this week? How about some action steps? How about this one? We need to be grateful. What do I mean by that? So, I've lived here for 27 years, and so take it for what it's worth. But I am amazed at how many entrepreneurs in this community have created businesses have been willing and able to hire many, many of us. By the way, thank you for hiring me. Giving jobs so that we can provide for our families and we can share. I don't know if this is true. I think it is. Could it be that one of the reasons, some reason, I don't know, there is unusual favor economically in this city, is that there has been such levels of generosity from employers and employees who work hard and then who share. How many tens and hundreds of millions of dollars have been given away through the companies, and the individuals, and the employees, from this community that have been spread all over this region and all over the world. We need to be grateful. We need to be grateful. I am grateful that you give Lane and me a job. Thank you. We need to be grateful for those who say to us, come into my field. Go ahead, and I'll pay you for working in my field, so that You can provide for your families, and you can share. But how about this one? Employees, we want to do good. We want to be good employees. We want, so that means students, you want to be great students. You want to use your mind and your abilities as best you can. All of us, we want to be good employees. Why? So we're not stealing. That we can provide for our families. And then we have something to share, and then finally, be kind. Can we just create opportunities for others? So we all have various economic places, but but can we? If if you have opportunity and ability, let's just let's. Could you help me? I'll I'll, start, I'll prompt a couple ideas. See if you can help me. So, what 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 have what Lane and I done in the last season with just trying to create opportunities, especially for younger people? We've asked some younger people to to pull out weeds around our home and we've asked them to dig up some, some, some junk. Well, what was the purpose? Our desire was we wanted to give some work, but we wanted to provide. What about asking someone to wash your car? Or, I don't know, clean your house? Or, not that you need to, but what are ways we can say to people, I know things are hard for you right now. So I'd like to create an opportunity for you to work. I would like to then be able to give you some money for your good work, that you can use and you can provide for someone else, you can share with someone else. See, that's the potluck idea. Everyone gives and receives and gives and receives. When I travel, I took this example a couple weeks ago. When I travel, typically when I stay in hotels, the waitstaff in the restaurants is typically a person from another country, oftentimes who don't speak English very well. The people who clean the rooms where I stay are generally from another country and probably speak very little English. And here comes this great big tall white guy who's staying at his hotel. And here's a woman from another country who is shy and doesn't quite know what to do with this big guy. And I always leave the tips. I don't leave it on the dresser. I go find the person who cleaned my room. I just say thank you. And often we can't even talk the language. But I just say thank you. See, these are these are just little ways. We're not we're not we're not we're not we're not, we're not doing the soup kitchen thing here now. No, no, no. Where, this is potluck? They're providing, I'm providing. You're providing, we're giving. This back and forth, and all of a sudden, what begins to happen? What begins to happen? We start flourishing in exile because we're inviting people to be part of the kingdom of God. Does it make sense? Anybody have any ideas? Any other ones besides I just threw out? Uncle Carl's leaving. Is that bad. (laughs) Keep Keep going. Keep going. All right anybody say thank, say thank you Bob just came out of the hospital thank you nurses thank you medical team thank you for those who took care of my dirty diapers or thank you beautiful Bob thank you anything else what how how can we how can we be kind how can we be do, do good Smile, smile. You know, let me, let me push this a second. What, here, one of my concerns about COVID is where are we going to come out on the other side? Are we going to come on the other side more suspicious, more distant, more mistrusting? Now let's add some of the challenges of our economic system and the issues of racism and rioting put it all together how are we going to relate to each other so I think the idea of just smiling, smiling is huge, I mean if you wear a mask pull it down, smile put it back up right, there's little ways little things see the kingdom comes in such small and beautiful ways anyone else want more pardon me Try to create community even with six feet apart. What's your name? How are you? Yeah. Coffee. A couple of coffee, yeah. Whatever's appropriate. Very good. Okay, let me, let me, one more time. Here's a couple couple, couple of comments I wrote to myself this morning. Um, as we think about Deuteronomy 24 and Ruth 2 and Ephesians 4, might the Holy Spirit be calling us to some repentance that leads to obedience in lay of the king's economy? So here are the questions I just asked myself. Have I squeezed all the profit out of the field of my life that I have nothing to give anyone else? Have I treated people I work with, so I'm the senior pastor of this church, have I treated our, our staff members as labor costs, as pieces that just can be, taken in, taken out? Or do I see each person as a person of value and dignity? Are they labor costs to be controlled? Or are the people I work with human beings to be honored and cared for? Have I failed to treat people who work with me or for me with the dignity that is theirs because they bear the image of God? And the last one. Have I assumed that the only reason some people don't work is because they're lazy? Or they made poor choices? Or they're thieves? There are some people, let me just give you an easy one. How do we respond to felons? What if someone has has a felony record? How can a felon work with you? If a person has done time, has done rehabilitation? Can a felon be re-engaged? Or do we just say, Oh, you're a loser. And then we create this enormous underclass of people who can't find any work because no one's going to hire a felon, right? But what's the Old Testament law? We create opportunities. Places in the field where people can work. What's the New Testament call? Stop stealing. Work and share. And the kingdom comes. It's <laughs> so funny to me. Isn't it isn't it interesting when we talk about when when so th- I can talk about anything and get almost no response. But when we start pushing into things about generosity and money, we just get uncomfortable, don't we? Just like And so someone's gonna watch this online, they're gonna say, that's all that church ever talks about, money. No, there's something about this though. They got hear, so on Father's Day, can I give you a fatherly word? Don't make covenant in allegiance with mammon. Mammon will break your heart and wreck your family, and lead you to a life of suffering. Instead, give your hearts, give our lives to Jesus. Amen. Lord, we thank and we praise you that you are just so good. You invite us to be people of beautiful, meaningful, generous relationships. And so we ask your blessing as we move forward. Thank you for the women and men in this room who've created opportunities for us to work. Thank you for so many in this room who've chosen to be good employees and good students, and serve well by what they do. And we thank you for many here who have been choos- who've chosen to be generous and to be kind. Lord, we pray it would continue. May your kingdom come. May your will be done in the earth,
0: as it is in heaven. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.